I say it at our at our meetings with some parents. I said it at a, at a meeting the other day. Is that uh, sports are rooted in failure, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I think the resiliency that we can learn in athletics is second to none. Um, I, I don't think there's a lot of other places in adolescence where you suffer setbacks as much as you do in athletics. And once again, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I think when you feel comfortable in your preparation in everything else and to know that you did everything right and you might not have gotten the result that you wanted to get back on your horse and to go again, that's life. Hello, I'm Bill Labrera, Assistant Principal in Charge of Athletics at Chatham High School. And you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. I'm really excited that you expressed interest in uh, coming on the podcast, and this is a special episode to me because I'm sitting here with uh, Bill Abrera, who's currently uh, the athletic director for Chatham High School, and he was also my math teacher in high school, and really the reason why I had any level of success in my academics, and it really just came down to the fact that I think he believed in me and he cared, and I almost wanted it wanted to succeed for him more than I wanted to succeed for myself and it was just uh I have like chills right now just even like sitting here because I don't think I would be where I am today if it weren't for uh Bill so thanks for coming on the podcast and we're going to talk a little bit today about how he uh approaches athletic administration and some of the newsworthy topics that are going on in the world today like the Maryland uh, football uh, coach and how he's, you know, in trouble for kind of the culture that he may or may not have created uh, at that school. And it's not just Maryland as well. And also, you know, how Bill and the the staff here at Chatham High School approach, you know, the athlete and how they identify themselves as athletes and, and everything like that. So, Bill. Well, thank you for having me. That was a uh, probably the – most complimentary thing I've ever heard in my direction. I appreciate it. Um, you know, teaching is is a unique profession that you hope that you have those influences on kids and, and you recognize that you don't have the same influence on everybody. So it's nice to hear when you have that positive influence on even just one kid and you hope that others that didn't have that same influence with you got it from somewhere else. Um, you know, it's funny when you become a teacher, I became a teacher when I was 24, teaching 17, 18 year olds. I, I didn't view myself as much different from them. So I just tried to kind of relate in a different way. And I thought that was kind of my strength in the beginning was, was my relatability to the kids and, and knowing Westmore's in and out. So I really enjoyed my time at Westmore's and the, to the staff and the, the students that were there were just unbelievable. You, you were just a part of that. And, um, you know, it's been really nice, although you went through some tragic events to see how you bounce back and to really, you know, achieve great things and, and to have your setback become your positive. It, it's just, it, it's a testament to who you are. And, um, you know, even though I was your teacher, you, you teach a lot of people, including me about, you know, perseverance and resilience. And it's a great thing to see you continue on. Well, thanks, Bill. And I know you said that you felt like you were, not that much different from 
the students, but I do know that you're a lot faster than us <laughs> because the first time I ever, uh, I guess, saw you because I didn't even know that you were my teacher at the time or who you were, but we were running like sprints around the track for freshman football and this guy just comes out of nowhere and starts running sprints with us and like absolutely smokes us. And then first thing, well, that was a long time <laughs> ago. I don't think I could, uh, to, to really beat anybody unless I got a huge head start. Uh, you know, it's funny the, just the different stages of yourself. I was coming out of still being young and active, wanting to keep at it. Um, as a young coach, wanted to make sure that I, uh, didn't embarrass myself with, you know, as, as a coach when I would play kids. And then that eventually got to the point where I just got tired of trying to chase the kids around screen. So I gave that up. And, uh, right now I, I tend to more walk than run, I would say. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it just shows that, um, just the little things as educators can last a long time. Uh, and for young educators to really get involved in, in different ways and to think that even the littlest thing can, can stay with people 20 years down the line. It's a, it's a humbling, humbling thought. Yeah, and uh, so I had you for algebra. Was it algebra and geometry? It was my freshman and sophomore year. Uh, I apologize I, in advance, but yeah, I think we had back to back. I can remember, I can remember especially where you sat in one of the classrooms in the T, <laughs> the good T. Got to be in the T. <laughs> I still think about that today. I think about that, yeah, a lot when I sit in meetings because uh, sometimes I'm not in that good T to make sure that uh, maybe I defy those odds. Yeah, I always had to be in the T. To, to, that's where all the best students sit or the students with the highest grades sit. So that's the front of the class and the middle of the class. And I always remember the, the sharpening. Yes. Sharpening had to be good with the Ticonderoga. Yes. I, I One of the fond memories that I was thinking about when I was reminiscing about you, whenever you would take a test, you would come by and very subtly tell me, good sharpening. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's those things. And, and, and ultimately, I think, you know, hopefully – if not with me, there was relationships with uh, other teachers that students had because in the end, you know, I, I loved math, but um, I, I hoped relationships or just being comfortable challenging yourself and learning something is something that kids can learn um, because, you know, maybe you didn't use the Pythagorean theorem that much since, you know, we went through geometry, but to go in to tackle something, to face something new, I, I mean, it ties into athletics. That's kind of how I always thought athletics was an extension of the classroom. It's just experiencing something new, getting a plan of attack, putting it into repetition, and then learning from it and keep on going from there. Yeah, and before I got to high school, I was a, like a CD student that didn't really care about school at all because I was like, well, I'm good at sports and I'm not that good at school, so I'm going to just care a lot about sports and not so much about school to like make it seem like that's why he's not good at school. Uh, but when I got to West Morris, I actually broke my collarbone my freshman year. I just want to point out that like – I think this injury kind of also set me up for academic success, even though at the time I really didn't know it because it gave me an opportunity to come in for extra help with you before. I mean, obviously, I'm thankful that you were willing to come into school early and stay after school late to work with me, but it completely transformed you know, myself as a student because that translated into other subjects as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, you bring up good points, and I think that could be a consistent theme through your life is just – what we think is a good or bad result at the beginning doesn't have to play that out. You control the narrative of, of what things are. Um, and that I, I'm glad that that was actually a positive. You know, uh, I, I remember a lot of kids going through injuries. And, and the good thing is, is that it's not final. Um, but, I, I mean, obviously your story is kind of maybe to hit on this is the finality of youth is something that we really have to battle. You know, when, when things happen, four weeks seems forever, three weeks seems forever. And it's not, you, you get through that in a blink of an eye. And 
Um, it's just we have to make sure that we try to keep the perspective with kids is that it, it's going to be okay. It's going to be over in a heartbeat to, to enjoy that and to understand that just to be in that moment. Don't look past that moment and be okay in that current moment. Right. And I think you made that moment more enjoyable for me because for something that I succeeded at that kind of got taken away temporarily to then have to focus on something that generally I didn't succeed at, it was fun because I eventually was able to succeed. Right. Um, yeah, all the festivals of knowledge and everything like that. That's what you used to call the test, right? Uh, yeah, we. Uh, I learned a lot of different <laughs> things. You can, you can call a lot of things a lot of different things, and sometimes it, you're a salesperson, and I think a, a teacher is a salesperson, and if you can try to make everybody feel comfortable or relaxed, you know, it's your job to do so. No, this is what it was. It was the festival of knowledge was like the review. And then there was and the, gifts and the tests. Reward. Yes, gifts and rewards. Yeah, okay. I love that. <laughs> uh, okay, so enough reminiscing. So I know a topic that I talk about a lot on the podcast that you said resonated with you is the whole idea of toughness. So I thought it'd be a good place to start as like, what is your definition of toughness today? And maybe how has that evolved um, over the course of your athletic career and professional career? Well, I think, you know, when you first hear toughness, I revert back to probably when I was growing up and toughness was the macho man. And what is a macho man? You know, it, it's playing, it's the Ronnie Lotz, it's, it's, it's that tough. And when you wanted to be an athlete, you wanted to kind of be branded as tough or as a, you know, a player's player. And then as you grow, you realize that tough is not always just physical. I, I Where I am now, I mean, tough is more mental than anything else. Um, it is the belief in yourself. It's the belief in your, your teammates and your coaching staff. To me, that's tough. Uh, it's to battle back and the resiliency that athletics is and to understand that things aren't going to go 100% in the direction that you were thinking and to how to stay to the plan and have confidence in your plan. To me, that's what tough is. I mean, it's not diving through a window to save a ball. Tough is making sure that you make the right decision the, the next play. Or um, I, I think a lot of us, always thought tough was that 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 fake hustle thought of diving and, and making these plays but to me tough is is battling through adversity and a lot of that is is the mental aspect and and dealing now as i get older and really chiming in uh, athletics as an extension of the classroom is understanding that everything is the mental and the emotional aspect and the physical aspect comes when those two are put into place okay so i know you were a good athlete growing up as well so what can you guys give us some background on your athletic career and like what sports you play I know you're a big basketball player and uh well the good thing about player. sports is you get better every year that you don't play you know when you talk about your memories oh, and yeah. things like that everyone gets better um when, when i probably go back to the moment I, I probably wasn't as good as what i think i am you, you, held, know, now. you held some records at our school right uh, sure yes uh you know and then you know records are temporarily owned until the next person comes along and gets them but i think that was a very interesting thing when i was growing up um you know i played every single sport um my my grandfather and father were very big with uh baseball and football um, but I was a very bad baseball player. And um, I think I tell kids in this position, um, whether they want to hear it or not, or families, is, is the, the ability to maybe come out of what you preconceive yourself to be. Um, if I had just stuck with baseball, I probably could have sat on a bench, been a part of the team, and had great experiences. But I chose to do something else. So when I was in eighth grade, I, I chose to start running track. And um, it was a different circle of friends, different everything, <clears throat> which was 
nothing that was immense to overcome. It was just different. You know, you weren't going to the same sports with your same friends, experiencing the same things. When you were talking with the majority of your friends, they were talking about something else than you were. Um, but from that, I, I achieved success. I got to certain levels and I was afforded opportunities educationally and occupationally that I never would have had if I didn't make that decision to run. Uh, so for me, that's a great lesson is preconceived notions, get rid of them, you know, open up your horizons, see what else is out there and, and don't be afraid to try and get out of your comfort zone and possibly you're going to find something great. Yeah. Someone on my podcast, uh, her name is Molly Parker. She had this quote in one of my, my previous interviews about like letting go of the blueprint that you had for your life. And I think that's, it, it applies in this situation as well. It's like, if something's not making you happy or not really quite working, don't be afraid to like just because you you know set out for some goal just right. Divert. I mean, I, I ultimately I I am where I thought I would be, but it's just not along those destinations. Um, and it was similar to that. I mean, I remember I had a I had this notion of what I wanted to do. I you know I I wanted to do economics, math. I wanted to go into the Wall Street, and I had almost not blinders on, but I was driven to that to a point where i had to have that realization of what is this what i wanted you know and i think to give pause to reflect i think is a good thing for youth i mean so many times if you have a plan you don't stop and think is that plan continuing to develop the way that you originally wanted it um sometimes you don't have a plan and that's great but if you do i want i would really want the youth to make sure that they're doing it because they want to do that rather than they had a preconceived notion five years ago that that's the route that they wanted to be on right so what was that decision i mean i was interested in this when i was kind of trying to prepare for this is how you were almost looking to go like the the wall street route and then you ended up going into the teaching route so like what was that thought process like well i was afforded a great opportunity um for my grandfather i i was able to um do some work with Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter, and the World Trade Center uh, when I was in college. And it was a great opportunity. I got the ins and outs of an unbelievable institution, unbelievable uh, commerce, and just, you know, that life. Um, but at the same time, I was a math, economics math major at college, and I remember um, one of my classmates, this girl, Jesse Ellison, asked me to come tutor uh, down at um, one of the um, apartment complex down by where I was going to school. So I did it, and it was great. I never kind of made that connection of what that was, but that was the beginning of something. And I was in charge of in it where I was refing intramural games, and I was crossing 116th in Amsterdam. And I remember I was going to go down the stairs into Morningside Heights, and I looked down to my right, and there was, a, I guess, an after-school program. And I looked down into them, and I had this realization with a couple of other things later in life, but just the enjoyment that was going on in that room was not the enjoyment that I was having when I was at Morgan Stanley Dean Winter. And I thought, well, why am I chasing one when I can maybe do this? So I went back after I refed the games, and I sat down with a gentleman named Chris Caesar, and um, he was the building uh, supervisor at Columbia. And I told him that I was thinking about trying to become a teacher, that it was kind of a moment of clarity, epiphany, whatever you want to call it. And he hashed out some things, and then I was able to stay and go to teacher's college and work the intramural route. And, um, you know, the, the rest was kind of uh, the beginning of the history for me. Okay, yeah, that, I was just, it was just interesting to me because I, th- I think that it paints a perfect picture of, like, exactly what we're talking about. Is like, I think sometimes people get caught up in, like, what's sexy and, like, what's, like, the cool thing to say, especially in today's world. Like, what can I throw up on Instagram that's, like, going to look the coolest? And, you know, I think 
you got to really think internally, like, is this what's right for me? This is what I really well, want. I, I yeah. do think it's very ironic that I went and studied economics and mathematics at college and then probably made the worst economic decision and then got into <laughs> education. So maybe some of my economics teachers would have told me that I shouldn't have taken those economics classes at the cost I was taking to then get the net return on education uh, of my cost of my uh, profession. But um, as I used to say on all my back to school nights, it is a decision that I never have doubted again since I made that. It was uh, probably the most solid in foundation of a decision I ever made. Yeah, when I graduated from high school, I actually wanted to be a math teacher largely because of my experience with you. And I succeeded with in high school math, but when I got to Rutgers, it was like a completely different ball game. And I did fine, and like I had to take basically like out the same classes over again, like trigonometry <laughs> and all that stuff. And I did well in those because I had already taken it, but when I, I was I had to do calc, I had to drop the class. I was like failing. I'm like, what the hell? Like this is. I guess I'm like, well, I guess I can't do math anymore, so <laughs> I'll just do sport management, <laughs> I guess. And then even after I graduated from grad school, I was like you know what, like, I really want to just pass calc. Like, I tried it again, and then I still couldn't do it because I think I was so far removed from the algebra part that I understood the calculus this time, but the algebra, I was like, I was so far removed from it, I just, like, remember, forgot all the rules, and well, I, I was working, and it was just it, like... It, once you break the system, it's tough to get back into the flow. You yeah. know, that's what I always tell people with school. Stay in school because... If or if you're ever going to want to do it, stay in school because once you break that routine, it's tough to come back in. Uh, for me, math was always competition. I loved competition no matter what it was, whether it was sports or whatever. I know. And socially, I always heard that people said, oh, I don't get math. So to me, I wanted to beat math. So that's how I always tried to tackle math. I mean, I was never – I mean, I had unbelievable classmates that were top-notch. I was never them. But I would take, I would take it as a uh, – a personal attack that I was going to beat math and that was my competition. So I tried as a teacher to instill that on my students sometimes is that they can beat it. You know, it's just an opponent, get after it and you can do it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the approach that I was able to take with you. Um, all right. So can you tell us a little bit about like what your athletic identity was as an athlete and then also into college? I know. This- well, I, I have two older sisters and um, they are unbelievably intelligent, unbelievably accomplished. So, they were the you know the balanced and the the intelligent ones where I was not unintelligent but always perceived as the you know the athlete and it, it goes without saying because I think when I would talk I would rather talk about athletics than anything else um, when I grabbed a newspaper I would grab in the sports page rather than anything else so indirectly it became how people spoke and related to me was I was you know I was an active kid and and that's how people reached out to me they reached out to me through athletics and that was great but I think it also kind of grew into that was how I was perceived as as a whole and um, I, I don't feel awful about it but I do recognize that and that's when I start to talk to people I want to make sure that I don't just typecast them into one aspect um, and it was great but when people heard that I was going where or achieving certain things academically it kind of struck them sometimes a little odd because I couldn't be that I was this and there where you couldn't wear multiple hats. And I think now generations do a great job of recognizing that people are whole. But, you know, 10, you know, 30 years ago, I think it was one or the other. And um, I didn't mind the one. But now when I'm looking back as a teacher or people in education, I want to make sure that you look at the whole, not the one. Okay. And I know that you come from a football family and you sent me the 
video and the article about your grandfather's national championship team uh, in Garfield. Yeah, it's crazy. I think that article, I mean, without anybody understanding, it just shows you how times have changed that um, now things are so much – there's just so much offerings. But back in the day, there wasn't. So when a team did well, even if it was high school, the whole community – really galvanized behind it i mean sports do galvanize towns but i think in previous generations it was just that was it because maybe there wasn't a lot of other opportunities for people to leave or to go to do other things so yeah my my grandfather was an unbelievable athlete and he got into education my uh, my father was um, a division one basketball player of vermont uh, he played football and baseball all his life as well and um you know according you know I have no problem saying this. I'm definitely third in the lineage of them in terms of athletic ability and accomplishment. Um, but uh, it, it, sports were big, and, and they were always where I learned the most things for me in terms of my you know, core values and work ethics. Um, but a lot of their abilities, like let's say baseball, <laughs> didn't really translate to <laughs> me. You know, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't in line for that, and maybe it, maybe it skips a generation or something. Yeah, but you had mentioned that, like from that article, how different things are today. But I also, when I was reading it, I thought how similar some things still are. I remember in the article, one guy had like just graduated the year before or something like that, and he was talking about how upset – no, it was a kid on the team, and when he would come back to the games, he like how much he missed it and yes. how much he be, missed being a part of it. Well, there are certain things that will never change. Yeah. You know, there there is certain things about athletics, and that's why there is a common bond, I think, people that uh, that understand it. Um, yeah. And it's amazing. I mean, here we, we've been unfortunate to have some really amazing things. I mean, our high school basketball team – um, we have a very small gymnasium here and this used to be a very small town. Now it's growing. So we can't, um, fit that many people in our, in our uh, gymnasium. And they were fortunate enough to play for a state title this year, a sectional. And we had people camping out for tickets here. And, um, so that some of that never changes. Um, you know, on a Tuesday night, it might not get the following that it, it always used to get maybe in previous generations, but when things are going, sports do galvanize like no other. Right. Uh, so what do you think the current landscape of like high school athletics looks like when it comes to health and safety? Like in, if, in your opinion, you've been an athletic director for how many years? This is entering the seventh. And you've been a coach for how many? Ten prior. Yeah. So the 17th year uh, now as an educator slash coach. Yeah. So what would you say the landscape of health and safety looks like in high school as a whole? Like today? I, I think, well, I mean, you speak from what you know and you speak from what you see. Um, I think Jersey's doing an unbelievable job. Uh, I mean, I can throw out all the different functions of the, you know, NFHS, NJSIA, but we have medically advisor groups. Now we have logs <coughs> that we record how much contact people are doing in a variety of sports, and it just keeps track. I mean, we have an unbelievable athletic trainer here, Mike Colavita, and it's all it's it's just all combining to make sure that the kids are in a good spot, and it's not stagnant. You know, I think that's the key thing. I, I think every single year we have new policies and procedures that are put into place as precautionary statements and rules to follow in the best interest of the kids. Um, and, it, and it shouldn't end. Um, and I don't see it ending any soon, anytime soon. Kids are a great investment. You know, they're their parents' prized pers- pers- uh, possession. When they come here, they want to know that they're safe. And um, we have a lot of people here that are working so that we constantly improve that. Right. How would you say it differs from when you were participating in high school athletics? 
you know, I don't know when the easy answer is I don't think they existed. You know, I mean, I, I, I think you st- you just were in the hands of who your coaches were. And I think I was lucky enough to have good coaches and, and people that weren't there t- for self-gain. They were there to help, you know, me and my classmates go. But I don't think that was the case in a, in a, everywhere. Um, and I think we had, you know, sports almost had to be reactionary to get to this point. Um, but I think although we were reaction to put a lot of this stuff in, now we're being proactive in putting more things in. Um, you know, I'd like to say, I, I'd like to believe right now with things going on that the high school athletics is, is a lot safer than some of the older athletics groups that I see going on. Um, you know, I mean, with baseball, it, it's what we're doing now with baseball with limiting pitch counts for, for uh, our student athletes is great. But then they leave our, our school and then they can go to their club team and throw 200 more that night. So you do have limitations because you only can really monitor what's in here. And then once they leave, you're at the mercy of what the kids are going to go do right. um, or who who's their coach. But I think in high school, we're heading in the right direction. I mean, I think our numbers would say so. Um, we're doing a lot of research now with the um, – and just saying water immersion to make sure that it's there for heat optimization. Um, you know, obviously that's a topic of huge interest in athletics and one that we're really delving into. And I wouldn't be surprised that you're going to see a lot of advancement with that in, in the high school athletics over the next calendar year. You mean like for in terms of exertional heat stroke and trying to make sure that uh, all schools have these uh, cold water immersion tubs? Yeah, they're, they're advertising some and they're trying to figure out some certain different ways. And even just so... If you don't have an immersion tub, like what you can do with trash bags, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be the top notch stuff. Obviously, the top notch stuff is great, but anything is better in terms of those things than nothing. So what can you do if you can't do this? And I think those are the dialogues because not everybody has expendable income or has those things or can get a grant for that. So it's what can you do otherwise? And I think those discussions are currently going on and and getting really good results. All right. So. Do you think that there's been like a a paradigm shift in high school athletics uh, in terms of kind of a, a cultural change? You said it's been somewhat reactionary in sports in terms of the regulations and the rules that have been put in place. But have you noticed anything in particular with how coaches coach right. or anything like that? Well, I think the reaction was a little while ago, and now I think we're being very good at proactive. But sometimes you have to have those horrible events to really start to think. And I think we're being good in, in that sense. And to your point, I do think we're at a point where coaches are starting to turn over. Um, I think the majority of the coaches here at Chatham are probably coaches that have coached less than 10 years. Um, so they're under 30, if you kind of think of it that way. Um, and this is the time in which you speak to coaches, and it's a very simple question. You know, it's, you know, what do you remember that you – as uh, a former coach that did that you liked and what is a thing that a former coach did that you didn't like and a lot of them are kind of talking about just overuse you know and, and, and an intense atmosphere and that you can achieve the same result without you know cracking the whip uh, I think the best analogy that I ever heard is you know a jockey doesn't can't come out of the gate and crack the whip the whole time so as a coach we have to think about kind of the whole holistic picture of when can you drive and when, when do you need time off? Um, when I said you're coming in, we have a lot of coaches right now for this weekend that are not practicing. And that's great because they recognize that it's a long season. Giving the kids the time off on the weekend, it's going to pay for it on the back end. 
And even even if it doesn't pay, it's not going to cost them anything. So I think what we're seeing is coaches now that understand the totality of kids, that sports is not everything, um, and that if they treat it as just a part of the kids' lives, they're going to get a lot out of that. It used to be, and probably you know this, is when we were presented with a coach, we were almost nervous about, oh, man, I hope this coach likes us, and, and you know, let me prove myself to this coach. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that that still exists. That's not going to go away. But I think it's more the other way now that a coach has to prove themselves to the players. I mean, if a coach comes in, especially in this area, and the kids come across – and it comes across to the student-athletes that the coach is there for their own self-gain or that they aren't in it to really work with the students, students are going to shut them off right away. As soon as the students realize that the coaches are invested in them, then it's a different thing. So I think it's now almost a tryout for the coach to the players rather than the players to the coach. Um, and I think that's a good thing. It's kind of like you and I with uh, math <laughs> and, like, doing doing good in math. Like, once I could tell, like, you were invested in me, like, I wanted to do anything in my power not to, like, disappoint you. So I can kind of see how that right. would work in athletics as well. Um, I know that we talked about that coaches are kind of into the less is more mentality and everything like that. But as we were talking, I remembered that I coached like a Raider. I helped coach a Raiders team like a year or two after I graduated from high school. And they had this fullback that they were trying to like turn into, he was like a lineman and they, he was just a big mm-hmm. kid that they wanted to turn into a fullback. And I remember coaching him, and I was still like in my, meathead old school like <laughs> mentality of like well this is how I played like not really right. putting two and two together it's like well I played this one way of like trying to run people over every five seconds <laughs> and was constantly hurt and almost killed myself on the football field uh but yeah you should play exactly like I did so I remember like telling him like yeah you gotta like run this guy over in this situation do that so John Machieski I apologize <laughs> uh for any brain cells lost because that was probably on me but it's funny because like when I think back I needed my own paradigm shift and sure. it took a while. And now when I look back, I'm like, that was the worst thing. And the opposite thing I would tell him now. Yeah. And I think that's true for all coaches is the realization that you're not coaching yourself because when you get in a situation, the easiest thing is for you to say, this is what I wanted to hear, or this is what I would listen better to because you might not be on that team or there might be only one of you or two of you on that team, and you your job is to reach everybody. So to really understand that you're not coaching yourself and to understand that there's so many different personalities, so many different makeups on the team, and how are you going to reach all of those? And it might not just be one statement. You have to maybe give 13 statements or 13 different conversations, um, but you're not coaching yourself. And the moment you realize that, that's a, that is, I think, an epiphany for young coaches. Yeah. Uh, when you first were named athletic director – how did you, I guess, approach your new job? You know, like in hiring coaches, like what things do you look for? How do you try to like stay ahead of the curve uh, when it comes to all these safety issues and um, just thinking outside the box and like a lesson is more mentality? Yeah. Well, hiring coaches is, is a difficult thing. And same thing with hiring teachers because you can only hire the ones that are in your pool. Uh, so you try to get you know a wide variety of networking and everything like that, but it's sometimes difficult. I, I think one of the things that I have realized over a short amount of time, long amount of time, it, you know, I, I'm not quite sure. It's just been a part of the the maturation process. Is that everything's more or less a business, 
and we have to change. Businesses have to change. Schools have to change. Educations have to change. And it's not a bad thing. But the more we think about five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, we're going to remain stagnant and we're going to miss opportunities to grow. We're going to miss opportunities to do things differently. So I think it's more or less looking forward and understanding that, yes, knowledge of sport is important. But if you don't know the subject and you can't teach the subject, that, that's really what it comes down to, is really being able to know who you're going to teach to and be able to teach it. Content you can always increase, but if you're going to struggle to reach to the people that you're trying to teach, we're going to come to a point where it's just not going to be a good, we're not going to get good results in terms of relationships. Um, I, I, I don't think Chatham's any different than any other community. It's just you have to know the community in which you're teaching not every flower grows in every garden so you have to be able to understand your garden so i think for me it it took me a little while to really get to know every the ins and outs of this institution because you come from four miles away where i was previously and it's different you know every school is different and it's unique and that's a good thing and it takes you a little while to know that and to try to hopefully find some good candidates that are going to stay for a while and and really make a difference all right uh how did you kind of approach like how you wanted the athletes to identify as athletes or student athletes and kind of, you know, viewing sports as a a release versus added pressure. Right. Well, this is a very high achieving district. Um, I, I think it's almost the other way. I have to try to work with our coaches to understand that these students are not only athletes. And I think, I'm not saying that it, it's not difficult for them, but it's just the, the, the constant, not the constant, it's a reminder of that, listen, when they leave whatever sport they're doing, they have 15 other things to go do. If we don't recognize that, we're going to burn them out. We're going to not get them to come out to the team. If we recognize that athletics is a part of a whole, that you maximize when they're there and let them go do something else when they're not, that's the biggest thing. Our kids are so diversified here that we can't just put them into you're an athlete or you're a baseball player or a football player. You have to let them do all the other things that they want to do. And if if we do that well, we're going to get the best of them when they're with us for that one season or that one sport. Right. Uh, how did you – I mean, you've, you've, you've played sports. You've been around athletics for almost 20 years in high school. And – something that every sports team that I've ever been a part of has has come up is like this idea of hurt versus injured. So what are your thoughts on hurt versus injured and kind of uh, what you want the athletes at your school to have in mind when something like that pops up? That's a dicey one, right? Because I don't, I don't know how many injuries there are that you can compete on without hurting yourself more. Right. Those that there are, I'm all for that for the student and athlete to understand their own pain tolerance and go from there. If you are hurting yourself more, then it's the long run, short run. You know, so what is the difference between if you just take care of this the first time, how much are you missing versus if you keep on playing with nagging injuries? Which is what we were just talking about walking in here today. And the other thing is we don't, and this is not a knock on anybody that we have here, it's very hard to be an influential player when you're not 100%. So if you're not 100%, are you, who are you helping by pushing through? 
Um, are you helping yourself? Are you helping the team? Because if you're at 70%, you know, maybe, maybe there are those kids that a 70% of this kid is going to be better than 100% of somebody else. But if you're thinking about the long run, if you can take care of that and to and come back when you're 100%, it's good. Um, you know, we, we've had some f- good memories here of kids that were hurt, which is not a good memory, but that took the time to come back. And when they were came back by the end of the year, they were fresh. And they were able to come in and make lasting impressions on their team and make a long run. You know, recently as our ice hockey, we had our captain went down early, came back towards the tail end of the season, and really kind of rejuvenated our team, and they made a nice run to the to the state championship. So there are some silver linings about when you can come back from injury. So, you know, and if you keep on just pushing through, it, it, I think it's going to be more detrimental. And like you said, you're not going to be available later. Right. And I, I think that's what I want most – people to learn from my own story is like that's exactly it i was so banged up with my shoulder injuries and i was just like fighting to survive out there and i was definitely i was probably less than 70 percent of my capacity it's like what what good was i doing you know like and and to me not to speak for your situation but have faith that to communicate what you're going through is not going to put you in isolation right you know hey coach i'm banged up or something that's not going to say, oh, that kid can't play. You know, to have faith that that coach is going to say, okay, let's sit you down, let's get you ready, and let's get you 100%. And it's those relationships and that trust that needs to be there in athletics so that a kid will remove themselves to know that they're going to have the opportunity to go back in. I mean, everybody believes in the story about Wally Pitt, but that we keep on using that analogy, and that was 90, you know, how many years ago was when Joe DiMaggio, I mean, Lou Gehrig played. Like, it's just... Very rarely does that happen, and especially in the high school level, it very rarely happens. Right. And I know you've spoken to uh, Dr. Mulford at Atlantic Health, and how has he kind of influenced how you view injuries in sports? Well, you know, I I referenced Dr. Mulford because I know you had some connections with him. I just think, you know, going back to the the business is is that we're in a business, and there are great minds out there that can help us go into the new frontier. And, um, you know, I, I always think of Doc Mulford because he kind of told me two things that were just probably rudimentary for him that were just an eye-opener for me. He was talking about, um, you know, when we have student-athletes that are saying that they're not healthy to compete, it might not be a physical thing. It might be a mental thing. So part of me, what I was talking about with uh, you earlier was about having c- – Uh, the confidence that kids can come out to go back in. But sometimes we have to build kids' confidence to go in, Um, that they might they want to be a part of the team, but they're nervous to go compete. They don't have the confidence. And Doc Mulford was talking about that as being that we have to make sure that the kids are mentally ready, that they're mentally confident to compete. And maybe sometimes those injuries will get better once their confidence gets better. So it's a mental and an emotional and and a physical thing. It all ties into one. At the same time, um, you know, football, you know, your story continues to kind of be under siege. But I, I think that's because for the most part, we have people that are looking at football what it was 30 years ago and not willing to look at what football should be 30 years from now. Um, and when you talk to certain doctors and he had, you know, he was telling me about this idea of a helmet, you know, that could disperse things through the shoulder pad. And, and obviously he wasn't saying that this was the the absolute direction, but he was talking about possibilities. And here he was talking about possibilities. And there I see later, five years down the line, that like a prototype, slightly different, was there. And I'm thinking, 
these are the people, I'm sorry, Doc Mulford, if I'm implicating you for a future job, but <laughs> we need those people to be in charge because there are people that have ideas that of where we could go rather than all these other penalties and things that they're influencing the NFL. Let's, if the game needs to change, the game needs to change. And let's, let's not be afraid of that. Right. I think that's exactly it. People are afraid of it, like that they're changing history or something like that. And that's fine because, you know, I, I, to me, you know, not to get on my soapbox, I think Moneyball is one of the greater books and movies, not because it had anything to do with baseball, because here is this guy that's changing the way that you look at a sport, right or wrong. He was willing to go out on his own because he said, if all of you guys are doing this, I want to do something different. Because I want to look at it from a different angle. And it's the same thing that we have to do with any type of industry. Football, if we all keep on thinking about it in one way, I don't know how much progress we can get. Let's really take a step back and take the peripheral. It's a great game. I mean, all athletics, there's so many positives that can be learned in football. So let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. But at the same time, it maybe it does need to advance. I mean, we're advancing. Why doesn't the game need to advance? Right. That's 100% right. And I always go back to, like, the Teddy Roosevelt, like – he kind of helped change the game because he saw the value in the game as well. And, like, people were getting really injured in the beginning where there was no pads and stuff and no forward pass. So mm-hmm. it evolved then to, like, yeah, we're a lot different than uh, 100 years ago, so why can't we yeah, continue yes. to evolve? Um, so now that you're in athletic administration and there's a lot of athletic administration it, or problems, I guess, in the news, we got Urban Meyer the other day. Uh, suspended for a few games for uh, information that he may or may not have known about uh, another coach on his staff. (laughs) And then we have Maryland football and the player who lost his life due to exertional heat stroke and the culture that was created there. So I'm just curious, like, what your thoughts are on the state of, I guess, college athletics and what example they're setting or not setting for well, it it doesn't seem like it's good right now. And I had a phone conversation with a, a friend that I used to teach with, and his um, son is going to Maryland uh, to play baseball. And I thought how odd it was that we even had to talk about that, you know, that here his son has a great opportunity to go play. And, I, you know, I just – we we spoke about does he feel comfortable with his son going there. And I think that that's a – you know, that's an uneasy thing to know that that still goes on that you that we don't have that we're not all on the same page yet and i think the maryland thing to me is just it's just disheartening on so many levels of that we're still in that mentality we're still in that era where that is perceived as the way to get better um that we we can't think of better ways to to challenge to mentally challenge our kids to but other than to really what i've read and followed to really have a boss underboss mentality. I don't think that works in any group and especially athletics. And then with the Ohio State thing, I I still don't get the cover up. I it, it, the crime is never as bad as the cover yeah. up. Penn State like same it's, deal. Listen, yeah. there there are things and there are people that act inappropriate all the time. You face them, you deal with them and you move on. And yes, you're going to get some backlash for that. I don't get the covering up. And because right now, I don't know when Urban Meyer speaks, how many people are ever going to believe him now. Right. I was actually a big Urban Meyer fan. 
kind of not, not. I definitely have. He has an asterisk next to his name in my mind now. But I was always a fan of him in that because I was a big Tebow fan. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated what he did in college football, and I kind of associated the two together. And he also wrote a book called Above the Line, and this is where he kind of loses his credibility right. because in Above the Line he talked about the exact same thing that he like the exact same crime that he committed. Like he, well, he, his quotes and all of the things that he said, if you take them on face value, yeah. they're great. They're things. They're core values. Those are things that you build programs on. Yeah. But then when these things happen, it, none of those quotes would mean any less to me if he dealt with the situation at the start. Right. Retroactively, it just doesn't, just doesn't, doesn't sit well with me right now. And maybe there's part that I'm missing. I mean, I, 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 I can't get on my soapbox. I'm not there. I haven't interviewed all those people. But from what I understand, I, I, it's just disheartening for that. With that being said the the death of a student athlete to me is tragic, and, and I. I I'm at a loss for what happened in Maryland. Um, I think it amazes me. I forged that article that was in the post. Yeah, um, prehistoric uh, coaching styles. Like and it's that mentality athletes, yeah. that we were, what we've been talking about. It's just when are we going to stop that? And I think that it, the article, even though it, you know mathematically it's disproportionate when you're talking about student athletes in, in college versus the pros. But since Corey Stringer, the NFL has had no tragic. Uh, deaths in that were football, I think, uh, 27. 27 and yeah. 40 of across all NGSA sports. That's staggering. Um, it's just staggering. And to me, I, I, I can't wrap my head around any. And, um, you know, we have these things put in the high school, and, and, and I'm sure we can do better. But it's just it's tragic. When, it, when a kid goes away to play a sport in college, the last thing that you ever would think would be that that would be the thing that they're not going to come home from. Right. Do you think that administrators can can do anything to kind of foster a culture of safety at their schools? Well, like how one, much is it on the president who now is probably going to have to like resign? You right. know. Well, that bus goes over a lot of people, but maybe some of the people misses some of the people that were really involved in the situation. Um, I actually was had the opportunity to work with some new ADs down in, in Robbinsville recently, and it was I was talking about how just education, in a sense, is is one of the most selfless things that you can ever do um, if you're doing it correctly. Um, but when you're a coach, you actually get that immediate feedback, right? You know, you, you have that the, the kids looking at you in the huddle or on the sideline or on the field or or on the pool deck or wherever, and then you get to you know pregame, postgame. When you move on into the administration. You even get less you, – you get further removed from that. You don't have that, that feedback. But what you do as an administrator is you have that opportunity to have those constant conversations with your coaches to make sure that they are passing that down. So you become almost the architect. So I do think as an athletic administrator – I don't know on the college level because I can't speak for what I don't know. But on the high school level, I would like to believe the athletic director, whoever is in charge of athletics, has, has a lot of – consistent contact with their coaches to make sure that those environments are correct. Um, obviously, there's, you know, kids' experiences are going to vary, but it should never be as toxic as what I'm hearing that happened at that place. Right, and what I'm hearing is, like, the fostering of relationships is what you kind of can control. Yes. So how do you – do you help facilitate, like, the fostering of those relationships between the uh, student-athletes, the coaches, the athletic trainer to make sure that – everyone's on the same page and um, everyone it's a free I guess 
free speech of you could kind of say how you feel around here. Well, what I try to do is I I guess everyone's going to have their philosophy as an athletic administrator. I'm not going to say mine is better. Uh, hopefully, I wouldn't say mine is worse. But <laughs> I try to you know I I try not to be where I shouldn't be. You know, so whether um, I, I like to be everywhere, but I'm not going to be in a huddle. I'm not going to overstep my lo- uh, boundaries. Um, you know, I, I want the team to feel comfortable and wound around one another without you know me being you know everywhere or in the huddle, like I said. So what I try to do is make sure to have the frequent conversation with the coaches and to follow up with what I see or what I'm hearing and to have them feel comfortable to have those conversations. I think it's hard sometimes when you get into the perceived routine of your athletics to stop and to have conversations with kids. But the more we can do that, it's just going to help because when you have to give construction criticism, it'll go, it'll be better received if you have some sort of relationship. But with at the same time, you have the better opportunity to have those dialogues where the kid has a trust in you to have faith that when they tell you something or they confide in you that it, it, it you know, it's not going to be misconstrued. Right. And when we were talking last week before, you were you said that sometimes you've played out like my injury and you know, as my teacher, would you have noticed that I wasn't acting, you know, the same or something? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I, I don't mean to be presumptuous, but, you know, I, I you, you wonder. I think I've always been a kind of a mirror guy, um, you know, when, when something goes wrong you know, what, what could I have done or, or that kind of stuff. So I'm, always, I, I'm the same way. Yeah. And I remember being at Madison and getting that news and then just, you know, have that pit in the stomach of, you know, it's many prongs as you know, you hope he's okay. But then at some point it, you have self doubt of like, could you have done something differently? Um, and I realized that I probably couldn't have done anything differently cause I just didn't see it. But I play that out in my head of if I were there would, I mean, I would have been, you know, still pretty young, would you have told me and what would I have done, you know, and I, I would like to, I know now what I would do at this current point in my life, but I don't know if I would, I don't know what I would have done and I don't know how you would have relayed it to me. I mean, if you came up and said, I know uh, my, I, I shouldn't play, I, you know, then I would work with you. But if you just told me my head hurts and I have a sinus infection, I don't know right. what I would have done with that. Um, but I do think the more people connect with others, the more you have an opportunity to avoid situations maybe that you were in. You've said that, you know, football was kind of your identity. Whether that was right or wrong, I mean, I never viewed you as a football player. We kind of spoke about that. You know, I viewed you as Kevin that who played football. But with your perception of that, how how open were you to people that were outside of your circle? You know, so how many people possibly could have helped you that – weren't weren't available to help you because there was just an absence of a relationship you know so i i wonder that and i want kids to get out of their blinders you know and and not to i'm not to you know say that you had blinders on but i think you know from what i hear i did yeah yeah um and and who knows i mean maybe i wouldn't have seen you that week but you know i remember you saying i i heard your podcast the only person you really ever told that was like kind of your mother and you kind of felt comfortable telling your mother because she was so far away yeah you know yeah, when I think about I never really thought about that, I guess, scenario going down, but I think that I did have a relationship with you, and, like, because you were a coach and you knew that, like, I don't think you would ever question me if I was, like, being a – like, that I would be – I was being a sissy or something. Mm-hmm. 
So I think I probably would have been comfortable enough. Like if we had like a, you know, a morning review session of s- some massive, right. I probably would have been like, I don't know if I would have directly said, oh, I, I shouldn't play this week. Right. But I would have been like, oh, my head is like killing me or something like that. Yeah, I know it wouldn't come out like in the hallway. You wouldn't like yeah. shout it out across the way. But that's something that I've always played out in my mind. I mean, listen, I would never... It's funny. I I one I, I think one of the craziest movies is Mr. Destiny because it ta- I don't know if it's an older movie, but it's Yeah, I've never it, seen it. This it's about, you know, the arc of your life and what every um it's actually not as deep as I'm portraying it to be, but basically <laughs> it's it, the whole premise is every single action you do puts you on a track, right? So all as absolutely tragic as your accident was, it puts you on a track to achieve unbelievable things. And one of me part of me thinks like what if you didn't have that you know would you be as impactful to others without having have gone through that you know so if we take let's say we did sit you out um where would you be and would your impact still be the same without that accident you know i and i would never want you not i mean we would never you should never have been in that situation but from that situation look at all the good that you have done too yeah, I I agree, and like I told you earlier, at the early on after my injury, I was like, "Why me for sure?" But ten years removed from that, to, I'm like, I don't regret anything. Like I'm I'm happy with where I've gotten. I don't think I would have nearly the impact that I had. I could I have the potential to have today. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was like an interesting story. I just wanted to include that in here. Uh, what is your approach to help athletes? Uh, or set up athletes for success academically? Um, Because you did that for me. I was just wondering if you could explain kind of how you have, I don't know, how you approach it. Well, it it was a lot easier when I had day-to-day interaction as as a teacher. You know, that's for sure. Um, As a teacher, you know, um, I never wanted to solely identify kids as, like I said earlier, as one thing or the other. But Um, did you consciously think that like this kid's an athlete like I don't want to do that or yes well I don't think it was as conscious as it was it became later when I was a teacher um I mean I remember as an athlete being typecasted as an athlete um and I I remember that more at college or at the tail end of high school that when I mean I was fortunate enough to go to a very good school and it was almost I I could see it in people's eyes. I went to Columbia University. I don't think you said it uh once this entire time but yeah. Well I could I could see it in people's eyes that you know, he's only going there because of athletics. Um, he wouldn't go get in there uh, without athletics. And that's that's was an absolute true statement. But to think that I couldn't achieve success or do that there bothered me. And then when I went there, there was a clear distinction of perception of if you're an athlete, you're in there because you don't, you know, you're an athlete and you, you know, you're not as good or smart or as hardworking or um, as intelligent as others that were there. And that got to me. Um, and, um, I think when I chose to become an education, I didn't, or, you know, involved in education, I never wanted to have people fall into that feeling. Um, to me, athletics is great, but it's just a part of it, you know? And, um, like, you know, not to harp on it, I, I don't think I ever saw as any of my students as, you know, that athlete, you know, or, or that actor or that musician. I, I think that was great. It was a way to connect with people. But once you have that connection, then you should be able to talk about anything and everything, right. you know. So if it's the way you open up a conversation, that's great. But if it's the only thing you talk about, then that's not a real relationship. Right. 
I like that. Um, so did you ever? So you, you're saying that you were, didn't really ever approach athletes differently in the classroom than you did non-athletes. Like say that you were in the band, or you were in uh, theater, or whatever. Like it's just kind of like a that mentality kind of works for anyone. Well, I think in a sense, I'm sure athletes migrated to me and maybe I migrated to them because I had a um, a connection with them, but I try not to have to treat them differently or one over the other. Um, I, one of my great realizations as a, uh, as a, a teacher was, um, I th- it might've been maybe at one of your football games too. I was watching the color guard uh, go and um, they were the smiles on everybody's faces in that, um, halftime routine was amazing and and it was just an epiphany you know another epiphany of to hear these people they figured it out you know they're having the time of their lives so let's encourage everybody to find what they want to do and you know when you're growing up in competition you kind of always think things in ladders in a vertical ladder like you're either above somebody or below somebody but in society, there isn't a ladder. It's not vertical. It's all horizontal. And we're all, we should all be proud of when other people find what they do to make them happy. So when you're in competition, yeah, you're vertical. And then you have to change that mindset. But once you get out of competition, that let anybody do whatever they want, no prejudgment on anything, and just be happy when they find something. Because what's better, you judging somebody or somebody really enjoying what they do so obviously it's somebody enjoying what they do so let's you know promote that and and really foster that environment right and I, yeah i always think i'm like i'm i'm so yeah the color guys out there doing their their halftime routine i'm in there like you know stressing out and banged up and i'm like bleeding and right. like sitting right. in a pool sweat i'm like yeah yeah what's your definition <laughs> of fun <laughs> right yeah yeah who, who figured this one out better <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and i always think i'm like in the privacy of my own home, I always like to I like to sing and dance and do all that other stuff. So I know, like deep down, like I would have loved to be like in a glee club or like in theater. But in high school, I was too I I thought I was too freaking tough to do any of right. that stuff. Well, and that's funny because I I did see on one of your podcasts, it's like, what would you tell your seventeen year old uh, version of yourself? And you know, your analogy of great, you know, treat your body like a car is a great thing, but. One of the other things is if you had to do it again, you, you don't, you know, I, I'm very happy with what I did, but like, what would I have done that I'd never got the experience to do, you right. know, and, and to be on stage or or to play an instrument, even though probably nobody would want to hear me <laughs> play an instrument. And those are the things. And, that, and that's, you blink and things change. So high school, college, do as many things as you can. Please take the blinders off because how do you know? You know, when you're 30, when you're 40, you're going to look back, you know, right. and, and what was your experience like? Um, you know, there's a saying that days drag and years fly by and it gets truer and truer when you get older. Um, it's just Coach Shapiro uh, was the basketball coach at Central when I uh, coached and he was a uh, still is, you know, grinding it out as a educator. And he told me, you know, in not so many words that like pretty soon all that remains is your ghost. And like, how do you want your ghost to be remembered? And 
it, it, it's true. You know, you think about it, you move on and then kind of all that remains is your memories of stuff. So the more memories you can have or, or the thoughts of I did everything that I wanted to do, that that's a great and that's a great feeling. And that, I think that's something that I encourage people to find. Right. Yeah, definitely don't let your blinders keep you from doing that because I probably would have had a more fun doing all that other stuff, Glee Club and the theater than I did playing football. Like, but I never gave myself that opportunity to figure it out. I just right. like was too set and like, nope, this is who I am. This is what I got to do. So uh, it's interesting. But speaking of identity, do you guys do anything here to help athletes transition to life after, like, uh, I guess, sports here if they're not going to play? In college, um, we don't we don't have any formal uh, uh, groups. Very one of the things is, is the reality is that um, the perception of this town is that we're very sports driven, and, and that that could be true or not true depending on who you speak to. But we very rarely, not very rarely, we don't have an immense kids that go on and play college sports. So the high majority of our kids just end here. Um, and, and that's the one thing that we want to strive to our coaches is that this is more or less the, the last stint, you know, whether it's intramurals or whatever, but this is really going to kind of be the end for most people. So once again, that it's, it shouldn't be everything that this, these kids are, 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 you know, defined to be or, or who they are. So, I mean, our school does an unbelievable job of offering so many things for our kids, uh, uh, in terms of clubs and activities. So I think we do a great job of balancing and not solely defining kids as one, two or three things so that they are ready to move on. And when they go away to college, have the confidence that they can go and, and maybe the you know the experience of doing so many different things to lead them to greater things when they get to college right yeah encouraging them to think outside the box and to explore different identities outside I like that uh what was your transition to life after sports like yeah that that was when I was running on the track and trying to keep up with freshman football so <laughs> you know I, I guess you know that there is something um to be said for that I I, I think that's why coaching almost helped me in a way um, kind of close a chapter. Um, you know, I, I still consider myself competitive, but I think coaching kind of helped close that gate on things. Uh, you know, hopefully I'm sure in my early, you know, I've always said that I would, as an administrator, I'd probably cringe at working with me as a younger coach because I, I don't think I saw, I know I didn't see the bigger picture when I was coaching. Um, but I think I grew. Um, and, and it's funny to watch yourself grow as a coach, um, you know, from my days at Westmore's to the days at Madison, um, you know, y you have all these ideas of who you are and what you want your programs to be as a coach. And then, you know, two years later, it's, you know, every one of those is gone and you got this <laughs> new things, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think everything should be fluid. Uh, so I, I think it took a little while for me to kind of grow. Um, but I, I, I think working with some unbelievable kids at Westmore, so it really did, like I said, close that gate. I like to think that I almost graduated from Westmore's twice. I, I graduated from Westmore's as, as a kid, and then I graduated from Westmore's as a young professional and was able to kind of, you know, continue on that path. So um, Westmore's is definitely uh, something special because it, it helped me mature in, in two different stages of my life. Cool. Did you ever struggle with injury as an athlete? Um, I struggled – Injury was more because I just um, 
when I, I ran track at college and I just never was as good as I was in high school, you know, and, um, I think I, I was always a little injured there. Um, but nothing that prohibited me from competing. Um, but so there was never an injury. I mean, I guess I got injured when I was in seventh grade, I broke my foot, but you know, that, that, you know, when I made the basketball team or something, but that was never anything big. But I, I think the biggest for me is that, that realization from, you're just not that good. You know, I, I think we all get to a level where we're just not that good anymore. And it's, it's at that point, well, what are you doing? You know, are you okay with that? I, I had it more by skill than by injury. You know, my, I got to a point where I was not what I was or what I, who I thought I was athletically. And that was what I had to come to grips with at that point. How did you come to grips with that? Like, did, were you initially like, I, I think in the beginning, I, I probably push blame, you know, that, um, you know, I, uh, I, there's, there's so many reasons why I'm not achieving success rather than a, what I'm doing or b what my makeup is. Um, you know, I mean, track is, is somewhat difficult, you know, no matter what I do, I'm not going to really go beat Usain Bolt in a race, you know, so that wasn't going to be it. I mean, that's why I think team sports are, are sometimes special because you can pitch that perfect game, you know. Right. Um, but if it's individual, sometimes it's tough to do when you're talking about like a running race. It, it took me a little while to come to grips. You know, I I think for, the, for a little while it was probably anybody but me. Um, and now I realize it was just me, <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, I was lucky to still be – at an age where there were so many doors in front of me. And, and that was kind of when I, I, I took off in, in terms of um, kind of working with Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter. So when I stopped athletics, that's kind of where I started to go as an intern and kind of, you know, my life kind of followed down that line for a little while. All right. So as we wrap up the conversation here, um, I, I know when I was preparing for this interview, you, you were quoted in a newspaper article about talking about how sports is a microcosm for life. And I was curious what the number one thing you hope athletes at Chatham High School uh, learn from participating in your athletic programs. Um, I say it at our, at our meetings with some parents. I said it at a, at a meeting the other day is that uh, sports are rooted in failure. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I think the resiliency that we can learn in athletics is second to none. Um, I, I don't think there's a lot of other places in adolescence where you suffer setbacks as much as you do in athletics. And once again, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I think when you feel comfortable in your preparation in everything else and to know that you did everything right and you might not have gotten the result that you wanted to get back on your horse and to go again, that's life. I think my parents did an unbelievable job of, I wouldn't say shielding me from things, but I don't think you know how much life is a grind until you start grinding. Um, you know, as being a young professional with a family, I, I recognize how much of life is a grind and that it's not all just easy. And I think athletics has, and coaching and, and being involved in athletics, really put me in a position to ride those waves of good and to push through those waves of difficulty and um not that i want everybody to fail but failing's not a bad thing i think we can learn a lot through failure and you know that's one of the things that i try to say a lot is that you know it's rooted in failure and it's not a bad thing we really should celebrate that yeah i've come to realize that like life would be really boring if you didn't fail yes yeah like if if you always won like it... well i always tell you know i mean i'm a i always used to say about golfing you know co- 
it must be boring if you're always in the fairway, you know. Yeah. I mean, you got to hit, you got to hit every <laughs> once in a while. But I, I do use that analogy for golf too. I mean, you know, you watch, you know, when somebody wins a tournament, they didn't have 72 good holes. You know, it was how they survived the other spots to make sure that they were in contention when they got hot, that they were ready to to make that move. So it's it's what do you do? You got to minimize your downs and maximize your ups. I mean, and to me, that's how sports is a microcosm of life. Well, Bill, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk with me on the podcast and kind of hash out some of these ideas. And I also want to thank you uh, for just going out on a limb. I'm getting a little choked up here, but for really setting the foundation for my identity outside of football. And I know that this uh, podcast probably wouldn't be a thing if it weren't for having you as a teacher. So, Well, Kev, like I've always said, and – you know, you wish that you could go back in time, but it was a really special time for me to have you guys there as students in Westmore. So it was really special. And when I look back, timing is everything in life. And, um, you know, I loved my time in Westmore. And um, I still remember the bags of M&Ms that you used to bring in from your moms and getting yeah. to know that the uh, the M&Ms from the factory are not are not the same for the ones that you bring in. And, and those relationships of why you get into education. And like I said, I, I recognize that my impact on kids it can't be all the same and I'm very glad that I had an impact on you you know it, it really does warm my heart it's the story of this uh, the starfish you know to know that at least you you helped one starfish makes it all worthwhile um, and you hope that the other starfish had somebody else and um, you know you're paying it forward and that's a great thing and that's what makes uh, that's what moves the needle it's what makes education and it's what makes society grow so this is a great thing and we're all really proud of you so thanks a lot Bill all right